God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars to cease in the, to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I want to read a couple more scriptures. Isaiah 14. But you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be thrust down to Sheol, to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. They will ponder over you, saying, Is this the man who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms? Both of these scriptures speak of someone in a place of power and someone in a pit. Someone in a place of Sheol, of the grave. Ezekiel 28 speaks of Tyre. They will bring you down to the pit, and you will die the death of those who are slain in the heart of the seas. You will, will you still say, I am a God, in the presence of your slayer, though you are a man and not a God, in the hands of those who wound you? You will die the death of the uncircumcised, by the hand of strangers, for I have spoken, declares the Lord. So he speaks of nations in general in Psalms 46, and he says they're going to fall. They're going to tumble. They're going to end up in the, in the bottom of the sea. Then he speaks of Israel in Isaiah, and he says the same thing. You're going to end up in the pit. Then he speaks of Tyre, and he says the same thing. How about this, Jesus in Capernaum, when he says... And you, Capernaum, you will not be exalted to heaven, will you? You will descend to hell or to Hades. For if the miracles had occurred in Sodom which occurred in you, it would have remained until this day. Amen. This is the curses there that he brings on the cities. Capernaum is just one of them. But So all these scriptures, I've just given you four scriptures that speak of Corporate entities, whether cities, nations, kingdoms, going down to the pit, going down to Hades, to Sheol specifically. So what do you think Jesus was meaning 
in this most familiar scripture when he said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now I say to you, you are a piece of a rock, but upon this Gibraltar stone I will build my church, and the gates of hell or Hades or Sheol will not overpower it. Amen? I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it, this translation says. He was directly contrasting it to the promise that had come to all these other empires. What became of the Roman Empire? What became of the Turkish Empire? What became of all the great empires? What became of, of Alexander the Great's empire? Even the British Empire. They're going to fall. They're going to come down. But Jesus was suggesting that something was going to be established through a certain kind of obedience, receptivity, sensitivity to the Spirit that the gates of hell could not conquer. This is the, what the Lord spoke to me this evening. Listen to this. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take for yourselves handfuls of soot from a kiln, and let Moses throw it toward the sky in the sight of Pharaoh. It will become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and will become boils, breaking out with sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took the soot from the kiln and they stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it toward the sky and it became boils, breaking out with sores on man and beast. The magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils were on the magicians as well as on all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he did not listen to them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and go stand before Pharaoh. Go stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says Yahweh, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send on all, this time I will send all my plagues on you and your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. He's saying, I could have already wiped you away. You could have already been gone, out of the picture. This translation says, by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you, struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the planet. But there's a but coming. But I have raised you up for one purpose, that I might demonstrate my power in you and I might proclaim my might in all the earth. 
And I felt the Holy Ghost come on me and the Lord saying, don't whine and don't wonder why I've raised up Pharaoh. And don't wonder why I don't perform magic tricks that wipes all the problems off the face of the earth. I have a purpose. I am going to demonstrate my power in all of these powerful little men like Pharaoh who have come against you. And I began to feel the Lord speaking to me and saying, Jacob would have been no story if he hadn't had to wrestle with an angel who tried to break him, if he hadn't had a brother who tried to kill him, if he hadn't had a famine that nearly starved his whole clan to death. But I have raised up Esau, and I have raised up the famine, and I have raised up fools among your own family, and I have raised up Ishmaelites, and I have raised up Potiphar, and I have raised up Egypt, not so that you can feel abandoned, but so that you can get a demonstration of how I do things of my power in these things that are unconquerable in your strength alone. There's not a story in the Bible. There's not a moving story in your life, in your experience, that is not defined by some confrontation of impossibility. Some situation that just seems untenable. And there is this dread that rests in the heart of every man that says, you know, everything man builds ultimately comes to nothing. Castles of sand made of grains of sand, it ultimately all crumbles to nothing. And so there is this dread inside of us that says, God, is this going to be the blow? God, is this going to be what takes my my?" Family member out, physically speaking, is this what's going to be we, the very reality of death in all of our lives? We know we're not going to ever escape that battle. And everything about us, everything around us is dying. The trees are dying. Species going extinct. Death, decay, fragmentation, standards, mores. Everything is crumbling. Traditions. It's all coming apart. But there is some little bit of eternity. There is an eternal rock that has been rolled down from heaven and planted in this decaying earth. And not a chip will come off of it. Upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell won't be able to overcome it. That word there is literally the gates of Sheol or the grave. This thing won't die is what Jesus was trying to tell Peter. This is one thing that's just not going to grow old and wrinkly and end up six feet under. And I read this scripture also. Deuteronomy, the Lord says to Moses again, The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way, and they will flee by seven different directions. You remember what he said to him on the night when they left Egypt? Huh? Do you remember what he said to him? 
Amen. Well, that's what he said after they got across, I believe. Amen. He said, you won't leave in haste. He said, tell the people to slaughter the lamb, to eat it standing up, and to put the blood over the doorpost. For on this night I will execute judgment on the gods of Egypt. God didn't want to wipe them out with one fell swoop. He wanted to stage the decline and collapse of Satan's kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. He wanted us to see it in one crumbling adjustment at a time until he brought the judgment on the gods of Egypt. And when they, when they crossed over, Moses had taken them to the shores of an ocean when there was a highway of, of direct access and Pharaoh was beaten down with 600 chariots and the people were wondering what was going on and, and uh, Moses kept his hand stretched out all night and the Lord brought a powerful wind and the seas were divided. They got on the other side and, and then here comes the, the Egyptians. And he said, now put your hand back over. The Egyptians that you see today, tell the people, the Egyptians that you see today, you will see no more forever. Thank you, Jesus. That's the kind of victory God is ultimately going to bring us to. Amen. And that final victory is not going to come till heaven. We're never going to cross over into some utopia where we never have battles. We're never going to reach some pinnacle of perfection where we escape the struggles that this life entails. But when you confront a struggle, I feel like God wants to say to you, I have raised up this Put your struggle there. I have raised up this struggle that I might demonstrate my power in it. I have raised up this cancer that I might demonstrate my power in it. Thank you, Jesus. And we know there's more than one way that he demonstrates his power and gets his glory. In John, the ninth chapter, the man was born blind and the disciples gave Jesus a false dilemma they gave him an either-or fallacy, right? They said, Lord, why is this man blind? Because of his sins or his parents' sins? And what did Jesus say? I have raised up this blindness so that my power might be demonstrated in it. He said, neither, but that you, but that the glory of God might be revealed in it. We say, oh, praise God. There's glory in healing. God, get your glory out of this. Heal me in Jesus' name. And well, we should pray just that with fervent, effectual prayers of faith. Amen? But we also know what he said to Peter. He used the exact same phraseology, didn't he? He said, you're going to stretch forth your hands. You're going to be taken in a way that is utterly against in transgression to your instincts. And he said this signifying what? The manner of death by which Peter would so it's not just the big healings that glorify God. It's the surrendering deaths too. It's the yieldedness. It's the stretching forth of the hands. It's the violation of our will and our instincts in obedience to His. God, why am I going through this? I have raised up this death, this affliction, that I might demonstrate my power in it. I have raised up these jealous brothers. Remember? I have raised up this idiot baker and this forgetful cupbearer 
that I might demonstrate my power in them. Thank you, Jesus. My power of perseverance, my power of patience, my power of endurance. It would never be activated if there wasn't some lag, if there wasn't some delay in your expectations of how things ought to be going. Who is this, Lord? Who is this Korah, Dathan, and Abiram? Here we are in the middle of the wilderness. Here we are at the brink of revolt. These are, these are great men, elders among the people. I have raised up this Korah. Amen. I have raised up this Korah that I might demonstrate my power in him. Let him talk. Let him make his point. Now let's see what happens. In the second chapter of Corinthians, I remember being a child and hearing my dad preach from this passage. Paul makes this simple statement as if sandwiched between unrelated thoughts. He simply says, For we can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. Amen? We can do nothing against the truth. You can say, I'm going to stop it with 600 chariots and all their horsemen, but you're going to prove to actually be proven the truth. You're going to end up proving the very thing you're trying to destroy. Amen? You can get baptized in Jesus' name, hear the covenant and take it seriously, and six months later have a Jack Daniels bottle in your hand as you're speeding down the highway at 90 miles an hour in your Tahoe with your friends. And you can say, oh, the truth. Who gives a hoot? But you're going to work for it. Whether you want to or not, you're going to prove it. And when that car spins out of control and whirls on its roof and you end up dead that same night, you're going to do something for the truth. The reality and fear of God is going to come upon everyone who would think like you. And you're going to have worked hard to prove the very thing you thought you were disproving. You can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. The devil's taken over the empire. A nimkampoop is king, and this idiot Jezebel is, is, is bringing in all the prophets of Baal. What's going to happen now? I've tried to make a stand. I alone am left. Now they seek my life. I think I'm going to go crawl into a cave and hide behind a terebinth tree. And the Lord is saying, oh, Elijah, I have raised up Jezebel so that I might demonstrate my power in her. One day she's going to come down out of that window and she's going to be a big testimony. I have raised up these prophets of Baal, 400, to demonstrate my power in them. Amen. I've made you weak so that in your weakness I can demonstrate my power in you too. You're going to stand against all of them and all of Israel is going to come out and they're going to watch the showdown of the God who answers by fire. Amen. Hallelujah. You'd think we'd learn, you know. You'd think when it really starts heating up and getting to the edge of, of doom, you'd think Christians would start getting this little rough flutter of excitement in their heart. God, what are you about to do? I want you to know. I started feeling that tonight. I felt this surge. You can do nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. The last score has not been taken. The final count has not been made. Sambalat and Tobias, Kor, Dathan, and Abiram, the lion's den of Daniel, Goliath, you have raised him up. The Pharisees, 
Why couldn't they have just accepted Jesus? Why couldn't they have just gotten along? The Pharisees were the conservative party. They had so much in common. They had a regard for the truth. They believed in the inerrancy of the Word of God. They believed in the resurrection. Why couldn't they have just gotten along? It was so close. Amen. If we could just scratch them from the narrative, then Jesus would have never died. Ooh. Amen. Is that really what we wanted? I have raised up the Pharisees that I might demonstrate my power in them. Oh, if only Judas hadn't betrayed. If only Peter had talked him out of it. If only he'd spilled his heart to John and James. I'm sure they could have persuaded him that he just needed a little more patience. If only he hadn't wanted that money so bad and gone to the chief priests for 30 pieces of silver. If only Nicodemus had raised his voice. If only Joseph of Arimathea had spoken up. Why, O oh Lord, did you let the wicked prosper? Why, O oh Lord, did you let evil triumph? It's not over. Give it a minute. How about another one? Go ahead and give it three days. I have raised up this cross that I might demonstrate my power in it. I have raised up principalities and powers and all the rulers of this dark age that I might make a public spectacle and mockery of them through their defeat. Amen. And that's what Jesus was saying the church is. It's something that is not going to ultimately be stopped. It's going to be hurt. It's going to be lied about. It's going to be persecuted. Pharaoh's going to rise up against it, but in the end, it ain't going to work. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The power of hell will not prevail against it. Whatever the powers and authorities of this carnal world, this Babylon world, whatever they do prevail against is not the church. But whatever resists them and withstands them and remains ageless, immovable, high and eternal like the rock of Gibraltar, this we can call the church. Amen. That triumphant church. Thank you, Jesus, that is built by the hand of the Lord. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused the one who warned from earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who now warns from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removal of what can be shaken. God wants to shake off that rock everything that's built by man. Every image built by man, every lie fashioned by man, every doctrine that didn't come from God, every tradition built by man. Thank you, Jesus. He wants to tear it down. The words once more indicate the removing, the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things. Not referring to things created by God. What did Jesus say to Peter? Upon this rock, I want you 12 disciples to strategize and fashion a church. 
And I'm going to be smiling from heaven while you work hard to do it. Is that what he said? Is that what he said? Upon this rock you will build my church. Is that what he said? Are we trying to build the church of God? We want it built, but we don't have any illusions that we can build it. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who built it. Which house we are if we hold firm to our confession all the way to the end. Lively stones are getting put together. Man can't pick up stones that are lively as human beings and put them together in some meaningful configuration that could be called the temple of the living God. Thank you, Jesus. What did he say to Peter? Upon this rock, I will build. I will build. Whose builder and maker is God. Once more indicates the removing of the things that can be shaken. That is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. It does not say, since we will one day receive it. It says, present continuous tense. Since we are getting it right now, downloads, anchoring, power, deposits of a real heavenly kingdom right here on earth. Therefore, since we are re receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful. The church should have a sense of gratitude that they're standing on something that nobody else in the world can stand on. Time is filled with swift transition, but let us be thankful. None of earth unmoved can stand, but let us be thankful. Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably. The unshakableness of this Gibraltar rock upon which we're built produces worship. Worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Very next words. Keep it up. Don't let what happens to all the buildings and relationships fashioned on crumbling foundations happen to these relationships that are founded on an immovable foundation. We have become partakers of Christ if indeed we hold firm unto the end the assurance from the beginning. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. How many of you remember my dad speaking last year about the difference between the ultimate and the penultimate? He quoted the scripture, that which is seen is temporal, but that which is unseen is eternal. Brothers and sisters, this rock is unseen, but it's eternal. We thank God for the craft village, but that's not the rock. We thank God for this beautiful complex, but that's not the rock. We thank God for the fields and the horses, for the gardens and the homesteads. We thank God for the life, but that's not the rock. That's the penultimate. 
blessings for which we ought to be so grateful, for which we ought to fight and protect. But that's not the rock either. The rock, the rubble was scraped away from the rock. The ashes were blown out way back on East 14th Street. That's where the rock became visible. The rock is the truth that is revealed by my Father who is in heaven. The rock is the conviction that only the Spirit can give. The conviction, it is the spikes, the bolts, that, the anchor bolts that fasten us to that rock. The rock is the love of God, the reality of his presence. That's the rock. My dad said in 2012, he said, you know, we don't want it to be, but he said, someday we may lose this land. We may lose this community. He said, they may scatter us. And when they do, we will go into every place where they scatter us and we will raise up new churches new fellowships, new places, outposts and lighthouses on that rock. He said they may put us six feet under and cover us with that much dirt, but three days later we're going to crawl out of that grave and do God's will. You don't, you don't belong to us if you think that the craft village is the rock. You don't belong to us if you think that the land is the rock. It's the blessing. It's the favor and will of God but the rock is inside of us because the rock is Christ. The rock that followed them was Christ and he's come right inside here. Something's got to rise up inside of us that says, God, when they dispersed the church in the book of Acts, 8th chapter, what was the result? It's the... Christianity spread like wildfire everywhere they sent it. They said, oh God, these men have raised themselves up against your anointed one, the body of Christ. Hear their threats. And I think the Lord said to him, I have raised up this idiot so that I might demonstrate my power in him. Amen. I have raised up this guy who's going to get chewed up by worms so that I can demonstrate my power in him. Hang on and let's see what happens. I have raised up this Sanhedrin. They're going to be nothing in just a few short years. Heaven and earth may pass away, but what you've got inside of you can live forever. Amen. It's called the old ship of Zion. It's the hope for the lost and dying. It's a soul-saving station. It's the tower of salvation. It's the church triumphant. O oh Lord, and it's built by the hand of the Lord. I'm talking about the church from the book of Revelations. It's built on the rock. It's got a firm foundation. It's been thrown it's been through the flood and it's been through the fire. And one of these days, this church is going to move up higher.
It's the church triumphant, O Lord, and it's built by the hand of the Lord. It's been through the storm, but the wind couldn't turn it. It's been in the fire, but the fire couldn't burn it. Was fed to the lions, but the lions couldn't eat it. Fought a lot of wars, but it's never been defeated. It's the church triumphant, O Lord, and it's built by the hand of the Lord. You part of that church? I can't hear you. Are you part of that church? Amen. We got an article this morning from Gordon Melton, professor of strange religions at Baylor, and he was giving us a translation of the latest edict from the Chinese government on how they're going to harass Christians. It seems like a saddening escalation in the way that they're going to persecute and try to coerce conformity on every level. And something in you goes, oh, God. And well, we should. We should pray. Because in Revelations, it says that the prayers of the saints ascended to God and stirred him to action. And then I thought, you know, Lord, you're sending this to us, letting us know about this to tell us you're not the only ones. And God, somehow, some way, you're going to bring something out of this where we're all going to be able to say, you have raised up this pile of garbage laws so that you might demonstrate your power in it yet again. Amen. I want to wait around and see the demonstration. I want to stick with it until he's in the bottom of the ocean. I want to see the wheels come off the chariots. I want to see the horsemen setting up bubbles. I don't know how many people jumped ship when the workload was doubled and Pharaoh pitched the temper fit. But I want to be right there with those with tambourine in hand who stuck it out for the long haul and got to see the demonstration of God's power. Amen. We've seen it so many times. We've seen it so many times in the history of this church. We've seen it. That time is on us again. It may be this year, it may be next, but it's on us again. Amen. Let's make sure we're on a rock, a firm foundation. Hallelujah. Let's make sure we've got deep anchor bolts that tie us into that thing that is the only thing that hell and the grave has no power over. Let's shore up the defenses. Let's clear away the rubble. Let's remove all the sand that's gathered on the rock. Amen. Make sure we can't slip off in a mudslide when the storms come. Amen. Let's make sure we're built as lively stones, stone to stone mortared with faith and conviction. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I want to say one more thing before I finish. You know, God can give you a victory. He can show you the truth that breaks chains. He can even say, go and sin no more and release you from the past and your sin. But ultimately, 
it's going to come down to what it's all about. Whether it's about you or something bigger and greater. John said, that which is born of God overcomes the world. Does not sin, he says in one place, and again, overcomes the world in another place. And he says, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Indicating that our faith is born of God. The author and finisher of our faith. You can come into your promised land. You can have Egypt behind you, the Red Sea behind you, the Amorites and the Amalekites and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the who knows what whites behind you. But you've got to take possession of the promise that God has put before you. You've got to say, that which is born of God does not sin. And I'm not going to try to reach out and apprehend with that which is not born of God. I'm going to apprehend with that which is born of God. Because the carnal mind cannot, what does it say, receive the things of the Spirit of God. It's only the new man that can take possession. God won't put the keys of your promise in the hands of your old man. But no matter how weak and fragile and fledgling your new man may be, he will put the keys of kingdom promises in the hands of that spiritual man. That which is born of God cannot sin but overcomes the world. Now, you don't want to take possession as this tiny little baby. You want to take possession as a got-it-together adult. But that's not who he gives the kingdom to, as Brother Dan reminded us last Wednesday. He gives it to little children. You want to start taking adult steps. God wants you to take baby steps. And you're going to have to let your new man come out of the closet and start to take the lead. You say, but I'm so accustomed to my old man. He knows how to think on his feet. He knows how to rattle at his mouth. He's gifted. He's respected. Well, if that's still how you think, you haven't come to repentance. But if you realize he's a big nothing, a big zero, amen. If he, you realize that he is the reason for all your shortcomings, all your thwarted promises, then go ahead and lock him not in the closet, but under the water grave of your covenant at baptism. And let's go ahead and get this new man out. Paul said, listen to this, he said, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Don't take a lunch for the flesh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, well, I'm afraid that if I were to act like that and worship like that, it would be a put on. Well, there's more than one kind of put on, isn't there? When you put on your coat, it's not exactly a put on. At least not if it's cold outside. Some people wear coats when it's not cold outside. We don't do that around here. But if you, if you really know your need for it, and you say, God, this may not be my native self, but it's my new self. I'm climbing into the coat of Jesus. I'm strapping him around me. 
tying this belt of salvation, this helmet of salvation, this belt of righteousness around me, this breastplate. Amen. I'm going to do this, God. I'm going to do it your way. you got to do it. I'm sorry. That's, that's, that's got to happen. He says, put on love. You say, well, I, I would love like they asked me to, but it would be a put on because I really can't stand that person. Yeah, well, you just need to put it on. You just need to humble yourself and say, my, na- my old nature hates this, but my new nature is asking me to do this, and so it's going to be real. Here we go, Lord. Amen. The Apostle Peter said, put on the apron. Wrap yourself in the apron or the garb of humility and do not let its covering be stripped from you. You say, I want to have a humble spirit. No, 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 no. No, no. Your humility is hanging on the coat rack. You need to go put it on and tie it around you and button it up. Your love is hanging on the coat rack. Your next step is on the coat rack. It's there for you. Stop praying for it. It's there. Just go put it on and say, this is the new me. And somebody's going to say, well, that doesn't look like you. Thank you. Thank you. It's a new me. I'm putting on the Lord Jesus and making no provision for the flesh. Thank you, Jesus. That's just an anecdote. Don't lose what I was saying before. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. What is your circumstance? Oh, I'm under discipline. Could you hear the Lord say, I have raised up this discipline that I might demonstrate my power in it. He said, I have shut up all under disobedience that I might show mercy to all. You say, oh, I'm a failure. I'm behind. I want you to hear the Lord say, I want to raise up this failure that I might demonstrate my power in it. I want to expose this disobedience so that I might show my mercy in it. It's there for God to get a triumph out of. Thank you, Jesus. I can just feel somebody wanting to have faith. And, oh, do I dare? Well, you don't have to. But some of us are going to go ahead and partake. Amen. Of the victory that overcomes the world. Thank you, Jesus. God, fill our hearts with this victory, with this faith, God. Jesus' name. Hallelujah.